So uh, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and, and it's my joy, my privilege to welcome you, and thanks for spending uh, some time with us this morning. I hope you got uh, a bagel or, and, and just got some coffee and, and are settled in. Um, we're going to talk just a little bit about the resurrection, about this phenomenon that was described in that, in that reading. Before we get to that, I want to just kind of pause and highlight a couple things. This, um, this period of time, like right in this like seven to ten days, actually marks our 14th anniversary as a church. So uh, we found some pictures, like we used to be over on Mayhem. Anybody around for those days? Yeah, man. So uh, that was like very, very early um, Three gatherings for a while. They went to four, I think, maybe even more. There's a picture of what the CGA, the corporate gathering area, our worship space, that's what it looked like me and even before I got here. So that's where this whole thing started. And now 14 years later, we are uh, just rocking and rolling as best we can. And we're so glad that you're with us today. Um, I want to ask you guys to think for a second and to uh, share with me some of the big transformative events in your life. So just like think about it for a hot minute, hot second, and then just tell me that what are some big events of your life that sort of really impacted you? Baby, Babies, marriage, marriage. meeting Jesus, death. death, hopefully not your other somebody else's, but yes, because that would be awesome if that happened. But anyway, um, Anybody over here? Nobody had any events. Okay, so sorry. Maybe it'll happen tomorrow. Um, going to college. Uh, you know, my, my, uh, my life is just like you guys. You know, I have a lot of events that really uh, shaped me, had an impact, sometimes changed the trajectory of my life. Certainly getting married was up there. Certainly the birth of my two children was up there. Certainly... Um, you know, finding a call, a purpose in life to, to work in, in churches and try to help people. Major, major events in my life. But, um, you know, you, some of you guys know that I spent a lot of time as a, as a musician, as a professional musician. I've, I did a lot of work. And so for me, uh, some really significant events were like concerts that I might. Anybody ever go to like a rock show that just like changed, really impacted your world? You know, like Jack Black in uh, School of Rock. Man, a good rock show could change the world. Uh, so it changed my world in a way. So I want to just show you real quick. This is Eric's top five rock shows, not in order because it's too hard to pick. Uh, there's an English band called Spiritualized and uh, an American band, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. They were kind of alternative bands in the late 90s, early 2000s. Saw them at a theater in Chicago, just an amazing show. Saw U2 on the Unforgettable Fire uh, Tour, 1985, hello, like uh, before Bono thought he was God. Um, it was awesome. Springsteen, born in the USA in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. I always say it was the best show I never saw because my seats were so bad. I could never even see Bruce, like until he came out to the very front of the stage. It was like three hours long and it was just an amazing show. There's a band called Midnight Oil from Australia. Anybody know Midnight Oil? Yeah, a couple of 90s folks. The, probably that might actually be the top one or two best shows I've ever in my life seen. Because um, if, you're a, if you're a rock and roll guy, and if you've ever been to a show where it's, it's almost like the lead singer is just like hyping it up and you're just feeling it, they're giving everything. Uh, that was an amazing, an amazing show. And then uh, I saw you 2 in 1992 on the Octoon Baby Zoo TV tour. That was awesome because I was in the front row. 
um, right in front of the edge. Uh, you know, he stands stage right. So I just like stood there, tried to make faces at him and, and screw him up. Uh, I couldn't do it. But those were major, major, major events uh, in my life as a musician. And uh, events are really, really big deals. And, and especially events like that, you know, in a way, like, they're scripted for power. You know, they're scripted, like, especially if it's a show, a rock show. I mean, it's scripted to be loud. It's scripted to have a flow so that you're, you're feeling things at different times and at different moments. And the reason I, I started that way is because even though events are, like, really, really powerful, and we're at an event right now. Like, this is a moment in time. Easter Sunday, 2018. Even though uh, this is an event, I want to kind of point out to you today that as an event in the Bible, the resurrection is actually quite odd. It's actually really, really a strange event that is not tied up in a little bow. You know, we're going to be here for 65, 70 minutes maybe, and, and, and we honor your time. And we try to, uh, try to ask some good questions and to provide some good answers. But if you read the resurrection stories in the Bible, man, it is not tied up in a bow. It's messy and a little bit even strange. And so what I hope to do today is bring a little freshness for some of us if you're familiar to the story. If you're not familiar to the story, I just want to introduce you to it. And so we're going to just walk through a passage uh, from one of the books that tells the story of Jesus. Uh, we have four of them. We call them gospels, which means good news. So in our Bible, we have four good news stories about Jesus. And one of them, Luke uh, spends an awful lot of time talking about Jesus after he uh, rises from the dead. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible, you can turn there now. I'm just going to read the story and make some comments, and then I'm going to write some key words that I see and that the Bible actually uses in the resurrection. And maybe, like I said, maybe this will surprise you. So we're going to just kind of jump in, uh, starting in verse one of chapter 24. So uh, text says, very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb so that Jesus is dead. The, the women are going to uh, anoint his body and, and put fragrant spices on it, bringing the fragrant spices they prepared. When they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, and they did not know what to make of it. So, like, that's the first kind of word. And if you can't see this, don't worry. We're going to move it um, so that everybody can just see it when we get these filled up. So they did not know what to make of it. All right. Suddenly, two men were standing beside them in gleaming bright clothing. The women were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He isn't here, but has been raised. Remember what he told you while he was, in, was still in Galilee, that the human one, which was a, a phrase that Jesus used to refer to himself, it was a title that he gave himself from the, from the Bible, must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day, rise again. All right, so uh, we saw this word in there. The women were frightened. So already... You know, you can see that maybe the resurrection is a little bit different from maybe how it's been presented to you in, the, in churches or if you've never read it before. Start off, they didn't know what to make of it. They were frightened. 
Then they remembered Jesus' words. When they returned from the tomb, they reported all these things to the 11, which are Jesus' closest friends and followers, and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, with them who told these things to the apostles. Their words struck the apostles as, what's the text say? It's not a trick question. It's right up there, I promise. Maybe it's not up there. Next, can we get the next slide up there? See, it was a trick question. See? It struck them as nonsense. Trust me, it's in there. All right. So I'm going to pause there. Because before we just beat up on, on the, the apostles, these messengers, the eleven. I want, to kind of show, I want to kind of pause and say why it first felt like nonsense, why it was so chaotic. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Jewish people in Jesus' day, they had a hope for the resurrection. They believed in a resurrection. At least most of them did. There were a couple uh, small segments of Jews that did not uh, believe in the resurrection, but by and large, everybody did. So I want to just kind of walk through what it meant to them. They prayed for it every day. There's a prayer called the 18 Benedictions. And one of those prayers, they pray, the God who raises the dead. They pray this prayer to God every single day. Now, to a Jewish person in the first century and a, and a Jewish person now, uh, the resurrection does not just mean that I get to live forever. It doesn't only mean, okay, now I get to go be with God forever and ever and ever. It had a very tangible, very concrete meaning, and it simply meant this, that God's kingdom has come to earth, that his kingdom is now on earth. And that was not an abstract thing. It literally meant God's now the king. And so we live in God's ways. We live according to his, his uh, customs and his ways of life. And it meant also that uh, the Messiah, who is a leader that they hoped for, we believe Jesus is that Messiah, that the Messiah brings the kingdom to come. And then lastly, what they believed about the resurrection, and this is the part that was very confusing. The resurrection in the Jewish belief system at this time was that the resurrection would happen all at once. So when all of this happened, everybody would be resurrected all at once. But what happens is that Jesus is only one person that experiences a resurrection, so just to be really honest, one of the reasons that the, the uh, apostles and the Jewish folks are so confused is they're like, wait a minute, somebody was resurrected, but if, if one person was resurrected, they were all supposed to be resurrected, but we've not been, so what is going on? This is one of the big tensions, right? And so we uh, believe that Jesus actually brings all of this to pass, except we, the, the Jews just got it wrong. We were like, no, actually, and Paul, the guy that wrote the, the letter to the church at Corinth, he's actually, he's like, no, 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 we, we got it wrong. There's actually just one guy going to be resurrected ahead of everybody else, and everybody else is going to get their turn later. But Jesus kicks it all off. All right, so the, the apostles uh, think the women's words are nonsense. Sorry, ladies. Um, guys, maybe we can do a little bit better. In this, they'll see how it goes. So Peter ran to the tomb. When he bent over to look inside, he saw only the linen cloth. Then he returned home, wondering what had happened. 
I, I, this is like, strikes me as so funny. Like Peter like goes in, they just, hey, Jesus was resurrected. He's back from the dead. Nobody's in the tomb. And Peter goes in, he's like, <laughs> and just like walks up like, like, dude, you're not going to ask anything? You're not going to like pause and reflect on that? He just doesn't. So he keeps going. All right, so now we're going to shift scenes. And we're going we're gonna to unpack a couple more words here. Um, on that same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey, but they were prevented from recognizing him. This is so interesting to me. They're, they're followers of Jesus, and Jesus shows up, but somehow they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And I can't explain exactly why. All right, Henry, you ready? Henry's going to help us do, do this thing. Hang these things up. All right, go take that. Thanks, buddy. So they were prevented from recognizing them. Jesus says to them, what are you talking about as you walk along? And they stopped, their faces downcast. The one named Cleopas replied, this is so funny, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who's unaware of the things that have taken place there over the last few days? Jesus is like, no, I got an idea. No, no. Are you the only one who's unaware? And Jesus is like, I think he's like playing them a little. He's like, oh, what things? They said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. This is a, he, we were hoping that he was the Messiah. But because everybody wasn't resurrected, we guess maybe he wasn't. All these things happened three days ago. But there's more, they're telling him. Some women from our group have left us stunned. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came to us uh, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who told them he is alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women said. They, they didn't see him. All right, so maybe we'll add stunned to the list, right? And Jesus is just listened to all, listening to all this. And then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then he interpreted for them the things about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. Now, it's really uh, kind of interesting here. When he says, wasn't it necessary for the Christ, that's the Greek word for Messiah, wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? According to the Jews, they would say flat out, no. No. That was a huge sticking point. The Messiah was not supposed to suffer. And the fact that Jesus suffered is the thing that made him a suspect Messiah. So Jesus actually really does something, and he confronts their worldview. 
And he introduces what I call like the key pattern to life. And it's a pattern that we in North America don't usually like to think about. And that is that death and suffering lead to life. Because Jesus is like, no, don't you know? The Messiah had to suffer. And their worldview was like, no, no, he didn't. He was going to conquer and he was going to win. And we were going to make all those Romans and those people outside pay. And Jesus is like, no, no, actually, uh, the thing about the spiritual life and the thing about life with God is that suffering leads to life. And I don't know about you. But this reality, as I've learned to embrace it in my life, especially over the past few years, has been a game changer for me. Because I don't know if you have this true in your life, I don't always win. We don't always win as a church. Suffering is a part of life. And it used to be that when suffering came my way, I would do whatever it took to avoid it. I would do whatever it took to trample it. I would do whatever it took to close the door on it. Because, oh my gosh, the only thing that leads to life and more life in my world for a long time was just more winning and more security and more resources and more money and more control. And Jesus, in this one little interaction, says, guess what? There's a pattern to the world that you might have missed. And that is that suffering can lead to new life. And the, another way I would paraphrase it is that now surrender is okay. Surrender's okay. And so when I look around at the world today and I get really amped up sometimes about all the things that aren't going my way, I go, you know what? I should learn to control what I need to control, but the things I cannot control, guess what? Suffering leads to more life if I'm willing to surrender and go, okay, God, I'm yours. I trust you. I trust you. You struggle with anxiety in the world? Learn that, and that will change your life because you learn that God is trustworthy, and when things are going this way, it doesn't mean that you've been abandoned or that God somehow is angry with you it could mean that new life is just on the horizon all right he's not done with them yet when they came to Emmaus about seven miles away he acted as if he was going on ahead but they urged him saying hey stay with us it's nearly evening and the day is almost over so he went in to stay with them after he took his seat at the table with them he broke, he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Okay, so before we go too, far, too much further, um, I, I'm guessing now that Jesus has been with them now about three hours. And he's been hanging out and they still don't see it. It's gradual. You know, we tend to think of like, oh man, like the resurrection is this thing that's bam, and you just see it and you get it. Jesus, Jesus himself is hanging out with for three hours, and they don't see him. Maybe Jesus was a lousy evangelist. I don't know. I don't think so. And then 
he has a meal. Just a meal. Just a dinner. And he takes the bread and he gives thanks and he breaks it. And then verse 31 says, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But then he disappeared from their sight. <laughs> what this says to me and what I love about this is this does not take place in the temple. It doesn't take place in the synagogue. It doesn't take place in a holy place. It takes place over a meal. It takes place over a meal. And the thing that, that I was thinking about this week is that we need to remember what the resurrection tells me, this story, is that resurrection can happen anytime and it can happen anywhere. It is not just for Sundays. It is not just for churches. It is about meals and friends and hanging out in the normal parts of our lives. And so he disappears from their sight. And they said, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures for us? So now their eyes are open. They got up right then. And return to Jerusalem, which is a, would be a little bit frustrating to me if I just walked seven miles. I'm like, oh man, I got to go back to Jerusalem now. They walk back but because it's that important. They found the 11 and their companions gathered together. And they were saying to others, look, the Lord really has risen. He appeared to Simon. Then the two disciples described what had happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as he broke the bread. And this is another one of my favorite scriptures. Uh, next two verses, while they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. And they were terrified and afraid. <laughs> and I just imagine the scene. They're like talking all of a sudden. Jesus is like, what's up? They're like, oh, gosh. <laughs> they thought they were seeing a ghost. And Jesus said to them, well, actually, what, let's write those words right down. Right? How about that? Terrified. And afraid. I won't write ghosts down because that's a little too weird. He said, Jesus, then why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Touch me and see for a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. As he said this, he showed them his hands and feet because they were wondering and questioning in the midst of their happiness. He said, do you have anything to eat? Because ghosts don't eat. I'm serious, in case you're wondering. Ghosts don't eat. Jesus is like, let me prove to you I'm real. Give me some food. And so uh, they gave him a piece of baked fish and taking it, he ate it in front of them. All right? So these words are also some of my favorite words. Because Jesus shows up and people are still doubting. And people are still wondering, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And you know what? Does he yell at them? He asks them. 
But you know what he does right after this in Luke's gospel and actually more directly in another good news story from a guy named Matthew? Before he resolves the doubts, you know what he does? He says, go out and start working. Matthew 28 says, some people show up and they doubted who Jesus was. And he just says, hey, you got some work to do, church. Go. But we got doubts. Go do some work. Doubts? You have doubts today? Guess what? You're in the right place. You got questions about faith? You're in the right place. You don't have to have all of this figured out before Jesus says, I have a job for you to do. You can go be a part of my movement in the world. And so just as we said, look, resurrection can happen to any time, anywhere. It can also happen to anybody. Anybody. Wherever you're at in your life today, you could be just a moment away. One little moment away. But, but, but what if I don't have it all figured out? That's all right. Jesus does not wait for everybody to have it figured out before he just says, hey, I'm here. I'm here. Give me something to eat, and now go get to work. It is amazing to me. He sends people out, and anybody can experience this. So to kind of like start to wrap this thing up and to tell you just what the resurrection means to me and what I think it means to the world, I'd like to just kind of uh, give you a statement that, that I just was jotting down last night. It's kind of long, so don't worry about writing it down. Look, we said it's an odd event. It's full of confusion, fear. Uh, uh, it takes three hours to see Jesus. It's gradual. It's people who don't get it. It's nonsense, all right? As an event only, it is full of confusion, fear, outsider, skeptical, and a, gradually, a gradual awakening over meals between friends, not super powerful church services. It reminds us that God, faith, and spirituality is not out there for the spiritual A-listers, but for anyone, anywhere, anytime, and all it takes is one thing, an awareness and an openness to Jesus. Anywhere. Anytime, and it doesn't take a super, like, top of leader of the class person to get it. All it takes is an awareness and an openness to Jesus. So, like, some of you guys are going to go to work tomorrow. Some of you guys might have people coming over to your house today. Meals, your job, your classroom. Your neighbor's lawn, all of these are, are, are situations and places where resurrection can break in. It doesn't have to be here. It doesn't have to be this place, this time. It happens on your terms, in your, in your arena. And then what that leads to is a really, really powerful um, mindset change. Because guess what? When Jesus shows up, when the kingdom comes, 
in the same way that the Jewish folks had a hunger for the kingdom and what it would look like. Let me show you what happens from all that confusion, all that fear, things change in the Bible and people change when resurrection happens and you go from fear to courage and trust. You go from confusion to clarity. You go from anxiety to peace. If there's an amen out there, you can give it. You go from isolation to connection. You go from apathy to purpose and you go from hopelessness to hope and transformation. And that's something I would sign on for. But here's the deal. You don't get there by events only. You see, I had all these powerful events in my life, and maybe you do too. But guess what? The event of my marriage is not, is not the thing by itself that made me a good husband. It was a daily practice of how can I get better at this. If you're a parent, the event of your childbirth is not the thing that's going to make you a good father or a good mother. It is practicing it day in and day out. If you understand where I'm going, say, oh, yeah. When I went to those rock and roll shows, sure, they were powerful. But let me show you a little picture. Like just a few years, uh, well, more than a few years ago, uh, I, I practiced. I went to those shows. But eventually, I met a guy, um, and his name was uh, Matt Redman. He was a worship leader uh, from England. And, and, and I got to start traveling with him for a short period of time. That's in Ohio at a festival uh, where I was playing guitar. Next slide. That's, that's me and Matt right there, in case you think I'm lying. That's really him. That's really me. And then eventually I got to do this thing uh, in 2003 uh, called uh, One Day by a group called Passion. And I played, I don't know, the estimates were 20, somewhere between 20 to 30,000 people. It's most people I've ever played with. I got to appear on the record. Those events did not get me there. And it was nice to go to those rock shows. Can I tell you what was better than the rock shows? Living it. Can I, tell, can I tell you what's better than just seeing the event of Easter or reading about it? Living the resurrection. Living it. Every single day. And you can. It's available anywhere, anytime, for anybody. And so what I want to do is just give you some practical things to do. And some practical prayers to pray. Because look, just doing a church thing does not guarantee resurrection. If you guys are a part of a growth group here, this huge ministry that we have here, just calling it a growth group and sitting in a room with people does not guarantee that resurrection is going to happen any more than those disciples sitting together in the upper room. What it took was a recognition that Jesus was there and an openness to him. You can't just go to a church thing and slap a church Christian label on it and expect resurrection to happen. You have to be open and aware that Jesus wants to be there. But on the flip side, anybody can do it. So this is a short list of how to be open. And this is a special list. So this is my way of resurrection for meals, work, friends, fear, insiders, outsiders, growth groups, service projects, coffee shops, traffic lights, neighbors, gyms, classroom breaks, rooms, bars, clubs, grocery stores, greenways, runways, highways, and byways. Yeah, sounds like a song. There's probably more to that list. So listen, how can you be open to Jesus? 
maybe you're here and you're like, hey, I'd try this resurrection thing. That sounds like not a bad deal. Simple prayers you can pray. God, show me. What are you up to right now? What are you up to right now? I'm sorry it's not more complicated than this. But you're at, jo- you're at your job. You're on the, the, the basketball court. You're in your classroom. You're with your friends. Just pause in your mind. God, show me what you're doing right now. Next question. Similar. God, where are you moving? And you might just feel a tug. Like, man, I should go talk to this friend that I haven't talked to. Resurrection can begin to break in. Next question. God, show me what you're teaching me right now. This speaks to this pattern of life. Because when you start to suffer, when things are not going up and to the right anymore, instead of always just saying, how can I fix this? You can say, God, what are you teaching me right now? And it does not matter how dark the night gets, from your perspective, God is always teaching you something, which means he's always there with you. He is never going to abandon you. And then if that's too much, the last prayer I would say, and this is a prayer I pray sometimes, here, God, you're here. God, you're here. And I pray this sometimes, like when I'm sitting in traffic, I pray this sometimes when I'm standing in line at the grocery store. God, you're here. And all of a sudden, I begin to see people, not through my eyes, but through God's eyes. Man, this, this person that's like checking me out in the grocery, like checking my, my grocery items out. Man, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe I should just like be extra, extra compassionate and extra just uh, exuberant. If you know me at all, that's saying a lot, right? Because, But maybe they're having a harder day than I am. God, you're here right now. Help me. To recognize it. So, you might be saying, you might be saying it can't be that. It can't be that easy. You might be saying, I don't, that surely the resurrection is not going to happen in public. It's not going to happen. You don't know my work, Eric. You don't know. You know what? I think that's exactly what the disciples were thinking in the upper room before Jesus was like, hey! You don't know how bad my life is. You don't know how rough my life is. On the road to Emmaus, it says those two disciples were like this. And what was about to happen? Jesus was about to show up and go on a walk with them. So I don't want to be callous, but you cannot tell me about a situation that is not ready and ripe for resurrection. Because I guarantee you every person in those stories was right there where you are right before Jesus showed up. So when you go into wherever you're going tomorrow, oh, you can expect something crazy to happen. And it might be the coolest thing you ever, ever thought. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. 